From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Since the human genome was mapped in the early 2000s, science has seen an explosion of research into the genetic underpinnings of various disease states. And now it's possible for a few hundred dollars for a person to purchase direct-to-consumer genetic testing without the involvement of their physician. This raises a lot of issues, and here to discuss them with me is Dr. Thomas Curran. He's an Associate Professor of Bioethics and Humanities at Upstate. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Amber. So tell me how you got interested in this subject. I was asked to be a speaker at a a technology conference, and uh, I came up with the direct-to-consumer genetic testing because I had seen it advertised on television, and I thought it was... Uh, I didn't quite get it. I didn't know what they were driving at there. It seemed somewhat silly to me, but I thought um, I thought this, there's got to be something here. This is turning into big business. And so my original idea for the talk was that I was going to send in a sample of my saliva and have it analyzed by the big player in the business, 23andMe, and I would use the results of their analysis of my uh, DNA as a, a hook for the talk, a way to in, in, engage the, the, the folks at the conference. But as I began to research the topic, it became apparent to me that there were many more questions than answers with the what, was, what information was being provided by 23andMe, and, and furthermore, what they were doing with my genetic data. And I opted to not send in a saliva sample, but rather discuss uh, what 23andMe's business model was about and some of the um, issues or concerns I had regarding uh, informed consent uh, of the people sending in their saliva, uh, patient privacy issues, and what I thought to be a a lack of transparency with regards to 23andMe and what they were doing with people's genetic data. So you uh, investigated before you um, you know, sent in a sample and decided not to send in a sample, not to do this. I so. am so glad that I did the research first because that's the other thing I've come to find out. It's, it's hard to unring the bell once they get hold of your data. It is. It, so, yes, I, I fortunately did the research so that I could make an informed decision about whether or not I wanted to uh, participate in, in their business model. Now, and, and there's other entities out there that will do similar sort of DNA analysis. So. Uh, absolutely. The, the, the two big ones right now are 23andMe and Ancestry.com. An- Ancestry.com. Yeah. So can we talk about the sort of the quality of the data that they're promising to give? Absolutely. Because there's, um, they portend the, to be able to tell you, like, if you have a higher risk for breast cancer, say, or, or diseases. And who wouldn't want to know that, right? Sure. And, and, and the... The pitch line, the marketing line here, is personal empowerment through genetic knowledge. And we've all seen the commercials, and it's a person under, you know, doing various activities in various parts of the world, evidently reflecting the different genetic uh, heritage that they have, and something along the line, you know, getting to know you, playing in the background, and... Uh, we are all connected by our DNA is like a, a message that flashes across the bottom. So, you know, that, that's a very, the, the image that's being created is that you will become personally empowered by further. So th- they do three, they give you three types of reports. I'll just briefly touch on the three types of reports. The first report that they give you is called a wellness and trait report. And this answers 
uh, riveting questions such as, is your earwax dry or wet? Was it likely to be dry or wet? Something I know I've pondered many times. Uh, what, what's the likelihood that you will be able to smell asparagus in your urine? You know, these are questions that people <laughs> need to know. Uh, are you likely to flush uh, when you consume alcohol? So I consider the, the, the wellness and trait report to be essentially infotainment. It is medically, it's meaningless. irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's meaningless, well said. So the second report that they do is called a, a carrier status um, report. And in this, they, they, they take 40, 40 or more um, diseases that are inherited by autosomal recessive mechanism. Now, I'm not going to get into the genetics, but it just means that if you're, your mom and your dad both have to have the trait and, and um, in order for you to have it as a, as a child. Uh, and so the problem with the report is that they don't, they don't check for all of the, um, tra all of the uh, genetic variants that can lead to the various um, autosomal recessive conditions. So if you have a negative um, screen in their carrier status um, report, it doesn't mean that you can't be a carrier. It just means you don't have the forms of carriers that they checked for. So it does not rule out being a carrier. That's the long and short of it. If they well, say, you could misinterpret that, though. You could look at it and think, oh, good, I don't have I don't have but, it. But you're wrong. But you'd be wrong. And, the, and, and, and that's in the fine print, but it's not in the up. It's not, it's, right. it, you have to dig to get to it. As, as I mentioned to you, the, the, this is dense, dense material to slog through. And you know, I'm, a, I'm a physician. I've been around science for decades, and I had a heck of a time trying to figure out what was going on with this stuff, and I can't even imagine what um, a non-medical person or non-science person, how they would ever figure this out. It, it, it was not easy. I, I'll briefly touch on the third report, the genetic health risk report. So th this, is a, this is just a grab bag um, of 11 different uh, conditions, uh, two of the big ones that, that people are familiar with is Parkinson's and late-onset Alzheimer's. And, the Genetic Health Risk Report checks for mutations that are associated with an increased risk for some of these conditions, but the, the mutations that they test for account for only a fraction of the genetic mutations that can lead to these conditions. So once again, you get an incomplete picture, incomplete. A. B, if you have a family history of something like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, to, 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 to go through the Genetic Health Risk um, Assessment through 23andMe would mean nothing. You still have got a risk of having these conditions just based on your family history, your lifestyle choices, your 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 ancestors, your genetics, your ancestry. So something you don't need a DNA test to tell e you. Exactly. So once again, this this the the, the well, so typically when when genetic testing is done in in the old school model, the medical model, you are looking with a healthcare professional. You are looking for a specific. Um, disease state that you are at increased risk for because of your family history. And it's private. It's based on the patient-physician relationship. And the information is discussed at, uh, with a medical professional to help to aid with interpretation and, and minimize misunderstanding. You know, this, this piece is between you and a for-profit company uh, where when you give consent to participate, 
with them, you're clicking a box. You're not, you're not reading an informed consent document. You're just saying, sure, research sounds good. I'm, I'm all for improving the, right. you know, the status of the world and man and, and people in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm an altruist. So tell me what you learned about how the business is set up. Okay, so the, 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 I've, I've just described to you what I consider to be the, the front end of the business, and that is the uh, collection and analysis of saliva samples from 5 million people and growing. And what I, what, I, I, what I had no idea about until I had begun my research for this talk was the back end of the business. And the back end of the business is taking this genetic information and uh, anonymizing it and aggregating it and selling it. That I had, I, I, I had no idea that that was going on. So they take people's DNA and what do they, what do, they do with anonymizing, taking out identifiers, but then they sell it to someone else? So they sell it to, they, they sell it to, um, they sell to big players in, in uh, pharmaceutical industry is a big, big player for this one. So they have contracts with um, Pfizer, uh, con contract with Genentech. They just signed a uh, $300 million contract with GlaxoSmithKline, one of the big pharmaceutical, biggest pharmaceutical players in, uh, in the world. And they're selling anonymized, aggregated data. And the, the, the reason why um, uh, pharmaceutical companies are interested in this information is because they, they're, we all read about personalized medicine and how, the, you know, tar targeted medicines based on your genetics. It, it's, it, it, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing, and it's a good thing, uh, uh, and, but it's also, it's going to be a very profitable thing for folks who get it right. And so the, the most straightforward way to get a, a leg up on that is to have a large quantity of data that you can start to sift through. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think, I, think uh, I, I believe the number is somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the, of, the, of the folks who send their saliva samples from 23andMe, 80% of them agree to participate in research. And so you're talking about millions and millions of folks. And the, the additional thing that 23andMe does for the folks who agree to participate in research is they'll ping them with one-off questions. The average person answers up, uh, is estimated 300 of these one-off questions. And they are questions that illuminate lifestyle choices and um, the levels of physical activity and family histories of disease states and those sorts of things. And so now you have genetic, genetic data that has additional linkages to actual phenotypic data or data about the person. Now, you can anonymize it, of course, and take the person's name away from it, but it, it, it's, it, it gets stickier the more, the, the more um, linkages that there are. And so, the, 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 you know, this is um, uh, what concerns me is that the technology for re-identifying uh, genetic data, anonymized genetic data, exists. And it's becoming uh, more, uh, it's, 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 it's becoming more and more sophisticated. It's, it's a thing to re-identify genetic data. So that someone could take that data and put the pieces back together and figure out that it's me. 
Well, right. yes, and it's particularly when it's tr tied to specific physical traits. And there was just an, uh, a publication in the last uh, three or four months uh, about an MIT scientist who identified people uh, behind five uh, supposedly anonymous genetic samples. Uh, and uh, he had taken it from a public research data bank, genetic data bank, and he did it in less than a day. So he, he pulled five anonymous samples in less than a day, linked it to the exact person who had who wow. had given it? So this gave this gave me um, this gave me chills, because that is that's scary to me that that you, that, that that technology exists. Because I, I think, well, I wonder. Uh, these are for-profit companies, and so you you, you uh, I, there's a in two so a couple things. One, our our let our legislate our federal and state oversight on this lags behind the the gathering and 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 selling of genetic data we we, we are behind the eight ball on so this one this does hipaa the protective hipaa that doesn't come into play with any of this so hipaa was written or was was went into law in 1996 when this sort of genetic testing was just a, right. a was, was a no one saw this coming as we said as you said in your outset at the beginning of the of the of the program, you know, no one anticipated the entire genome being mapped right. by 2000. You know, so HIPAA um, has a, a specific provision in it that says that if if a medical provider, if a, uh, if someone's in possession of of medical data, if they anonymize it, they can sell it. And so this was really meant for stuff like biopsies and you know, it's very. Um, uh, Non-personally identifiable stuff. It did have it, so it's a major loophole for for the direct consumer genetic testing because HIPAA says if you anonymize it, you can sell you can it. Sell it. Huh. And so HIPAA's behind. And there, there's been further legislation on this, and the the, um, the genetic information non -discrim non discrimination act was um, was an attempt for the the government to kind of um, limit how genetic information could be used in a prejudicial fashion. And so what they address specifically are things like you can't use genetic data to, for employment discrimination, and you can't use genetic data for health insurance um, um, discrimination. But it doesn't address things like uh, long-term health care insurance or life insurance. So it's, it's a, it, and these are things that one could see where if, a, if in that industry, if you could figure out a way to identify folks that were likely to be expensive with regards to life insurance or long-term care insurance, the potential exists to screen folks based on genetic data to um, either accept or deny coverage for these things. And that's, that's scary to me. I, 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 yeah, it doesn't seem right to me. And, uh, and 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 both HIPAA and the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act are meant to protect the privacy of the individual consumer. Wow, that's the they just don't it, it's just it's but it, but it's not it can't keep up with technology. We're always ethics is always chasing technology. It just gets out ahead it gets out ahead of us. And so I think that, that you know from a from a protection standpoint, it's, it's going to be critical that. This, these these sorts of um, potential abuses of re-identification of genetic data are addressed, and so that the consumer is 
protected. Well, you've given us a lot to think about um, with, you know, with this genetic testing, which seems enticing, but you've made us uh, think about some things before we go forward with it. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. My guest has been Dr. Thomas Curran, an associate professor of bioethics and humanities at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.